Hey there, welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week, Scott introduced me to a film that I've been yelled at multiple times for not seeing. Scott, what did we watch today? Well, to answer that question, Frankie, we are going to have to break a few rules. Oh, no. What rules do you mean? The rules of the Power Rangers? Like, don't use your ninja powers for personal gain? No, not that rule, Frankie. The first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Oh, no. And that's all we're going to be doing for the next hour. (laughs) Hopefully we don't get arrested for breaking the rules. Or get attacked by Brad Pitt or Edward Norton. Either way. Or both at the same time. Oh, no. Spoilers for a 21-year-old movie. Yes. So this is Fight Club, released in 1999. One of the most controversial films of the 1990s. It's actually kind of funny. Because last week we did Josie and the Pussycats, and this week we're doing Fight Club. And they both have at least one similar message that I didn't realize they both had. Oh no, are we really making a comparison between (laughs) Josie and the Pussycats and David Fincher's Fight Club? Yes, we are. And the comparison is, corporations suck. Oh, well, yeah, no, that's true. Although this movie, I would say, says it in a more... um, Violent. Violent way, sure. Although there was a real sick slap fight in Josie and the Pussycats. Sick. Am I right, ladies? (laughs) We love a good cat fight. (laughs) This movie was directed by David Fincher, whose most recent movie, Mank, by the way, is currently up for 10 Oscars. (laughs) So... This is the caliber of film in which we are speaking. And Fincher's got a weird style about him. It makes you think about movies deeper. But you know what's really interesting? I was doing some research, you know, as the one woman research team here at Shoot the Flick. Yeah, that you are. Did you know that David Fincher's first credits in the 80s and early 90s are a bunch of music videos? He directed so many, including Janie's Got a Gun, Vogue, and way too many Rick Springfield songs. More Rick Springfield songs than I thought actually existed. Yo, hey, Rick Springfield's pretty goddamn good, man. <laughs> He's had a lot of really strong films under his belt, like Seven, uh, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, Social Network. He also likes Brad Pitt. I mean, who doesn't? That's very Let's true. Let's be real. Let's be real here, ladies. Am I right? And the movie was written by a Mr. Jim Owls. And this is his first and by far biggest movie. The only other movie on his IMDb that I even recognized was Jumper. Starring our good old friend of the show, Hayden Christensen. Ah. So you know the film is quality. Several other people had their hands in the cookie jar with this script, including Cameron Crowe, Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven, Fincher himself, as well as Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. So it was really a group effort. (laughs) Oh, and me being a book nerd, I have to mention, even though I didn't actually read the book, that this is based off of a novel written by Chuck Palahniuk. 
And he actually was quoted as saying that the movie was an improvement on his novel, which is rare, I feel like, for an author to say. Despite the fact that this movie has, over the years, become a staple, it's one of those movies that, like, you have to see or you're a heathen. I mean, that's essentially how I felt whenever I've mentioned over the years that I've never seen Fight Club. People look at me as though I just killed a small kitten on the side of the road. This isn't really a movie that I feel like if you've missed it, a lot of people won't go back to it necessarily because you knew the twist. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, that's really why I hadn't seen it for so long because with movies like this that bank a lot of their hype on a big twist of some kind, i.e. pretty much any movie that M. Night Shyamalan is behind, and you go into it already knowing the twist you're concerned that you're not going to get the same thing out of it as other people would. And that definitely is true. I feel like if I went into this blind, I would have liked it even more. However, I did like this movie very, very much. Oh, yeah. It's still as good now as it is when I first saw it. it. It was nominated for one Oscar for sound editing. And, of course, because it's 1999, it lost to The Matrix. <laughs> I would say this movie holds up better than The Matrix. Yes, that's probably true. Although I haven't watched The Matrix in a long time. I can only guess. But yeah, I would guess so. However, the movie was nominated for not one, not two, not three, but four Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. <laughs> Including one for Worst Supporting Actress for Helen and Bottom Carter. But she lost to Denise Richards for The World Is Not Enough. Oh, Christmas Jones. Another Stinkers nomination that I found particularly interesting was its nomination for Worst Male Hairstyle for Brad Pitt. And he lost to guess who, dear? I have no idea. Dennis Rodman in Simon Says. God damn, Simon Says. Oh, yes. If you've never seen that film, don't worry. You're not missing anything. Simon Says, the one with the cyber monks? I think it is. Oh, God. And Dane Cook. But Uh, we're talking about a much better movie today. Like I said, I very much enjoyed this movie, but I can totally see a test audience or really anybody sitting watching this movie in 1999 and being like, what the fuck did I just watch? The pacing is super fast and all over the place. And usually when I say that, it's a bad thing but for this movie in the context of the story it's actually a great thing and it works in its favor well yeah it's 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 meant to keep you like guessing yeah it keeps you on your toes for sure i love this movie from top to bottom i've watched it at least 15 times i was not one of the people in college that had the poster because you know everybody's got three posters in college you had the boondock saints poster the fight club poster or the scarface poster My college experience was very different than yours. (laughs) So are you ready to get into the nitty gritty and get into a fight club? Yes, we are. So we are introduced right away to our narrator, who is not named throughout the entire movie. Played by Edward Norton. We're starting at the end of the movie. He's got a gun in his mouth. He's like, with a gun barrel between your teeth, you can only speak in vowels. I was like, ooh, that's a fucking good line. (laughs) And he, he goes, in his narration, you always hurt the people you love. And then we jump cut to him in this huge hug by Bob, who has bitch tits. Oh, my God. Okay, so he's 
He's standing in the middle of a support group. We don't really know for what yet, but he's in a support group and he's hugging this large breasted man named Bob. Bob is played by Meatloaf. And Meatloaf would do anything for love, but he won't do that. Oh God, I can't wait for us to watch Spice World. <laughs> you know he's in Spice World, right? I know. I, I think He's the bus driver, right? Uh-huh. Oh God. So... He hasn't slept in six months. He doesn't know if he's awake or not. Yeah, what I really love about this movie is how Fincher really, he immerses you in the narrator's insomnia in very unique ways. Like, not only with the editing in the movie and how it's very, like, all over the place, but also he actually altered the contrast in the film stock to make it look all grubby you just feel like it's a tired environment, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. And we keep getting flashes on the screen of a figure. Yeah. If you know anything about insomnia, I mean, if you're awake for extended periods of time without any sleep, you're going to start seeing shit. <laughs> but also, I want to talk about something else, too. I want to talk about the score for a second. Yes. Oh my god. The second we opened in this movie, I felt like I was being assaulted. <laughs> the people who did the score for this movie, the Dust Brothers, they were also nominated for a Singer's Bad Movie Award for Most Intrusive Score. <laughs> It's basically just like super pumping hard tones in your fucking eardrums, like pounding away. Yeah, it's meant to kind of throw you off. But we cut to Edward Norton's house. And Edward Norton lives in an Ikea catalog, basically. So Edward Norton, to try and solve his insomnia, goes to the doctor's office. And he tells the doctor... Hey, man, I haven't slept in six months. Can you give me something? And the doctor's like, no, you need to get some normal sleep. And Edward Norton's like, I, I'm hurting here. And the doctor goes, you want real pain? Go see the guys who get their fucking balls cut off from testicular cancer. They have a meeting at the church every Tuesday. So that's what he does. He goes down there to the support group. He quickly discovers that in this environment with all these other people who are in pain and very vulnerable, including Bob Bitch Tits, he is able to avail himself to letting go of his emotions and kind of having a release, crying with them. And it's really kind of sick because he doesn't have fucking cancer. <laughs> but it helps him sleep. He starts going to different support groups like every night. He even says he's addicted to the groups. But then there is a person he starts noticing at all his groups. Marla. Played by Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, Marla is no-nonsense, lives her life the way she wants to live it. But she's also the hottest of hot messes. Oh, 100% the hottest of hot <laughs> you messes. You know, you, you make it sound like she's a strong, independent woman, but she's also being a big old faker going to these support groups. Oh, yeah, no, she's definitely a mess. And ever since she's shown up, Ed Norton now can't sleep because she's faking and he knows she's faking. So and it's just bringing attention more to himself that he's a big old faker and a liar and a creep. So he's, again, experiencing insomnia because of that. So he goes to confront Marla 
And he goes, I know you're not real. And she goes, yeah, and I know you're not real either. They decide they're going to split up days. Yeah, like you go to this support group every Tuesday and Thursday. I'll go to this support group every other Sunday, blah, blah, blah. But the narrator is like, hey, Marla, we should exchange numbers, you know, in case one of us wants to switch our days or something. So they exchange phone numbers and go on their merry way. So our narrator works at a job he doesn't like, but he is a guy who goes around to different car crashes and basically assesses if it was the company's fault that this crash happened. So he's flying on a plane coming from a crash site and he's basically saying to this lady like, oh, we go to these different accidents and if we deem them to be the fault of the vehicle, like a mechanical error, we basically just compare the number of accidents to how much it would cost to recall all the cars. And if it would cost too much money to recall the cars, we don't even bother. And the lady's like, what company do you work for? (laughs) A big one. But then we meet... The star of the show here. Edward Norton is hoping for a plane crash, and then suddenly Tyler Durden appears. Tyler Durden, you say, played by Brad Pitt. And fun fact, I don't know if this is really fun for Edward Norton, but Brad Pitt was paid a whopping $17.5 million for his role in Fight Club, while Norton was paid a measly $2.5 million. So that just tells you where Brad Pitt was in his career at this time and where Edward Norton was. <laughs> Frankie, you have to admit, Brad Pitt here, damn. Like, damn. <laughs> He's looking fine. And they have a little conversation about Soap. (laughs) But after they talk about soap, Tyler Durden gives the narrator his card. In case he's feeling a little dirty. He wants to get a nice scrubbing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But Edward Norton finally goes back to his apartment building to find out his apartment has exploded. I mean, don't you hate it when that happens? Everything he owns is gone. So... Who's the first person he calls when they say, do you have anywhere to go? He calls Marla, but he hangs up on Marla. Their relationship in this movie is really fascinating. It's just so interesting because he basically established right from the beginning that he doesn't like her, quote unquote, because she reminds him of himself. And then as the movie progresses, it slowly but surely changes and by the end he realizes that he does really care about this woman but he is such a broken human that like i don't know their whole relationship is very toxic but it's very fascinating also it's it's a burrito that needs to be unfolded and dissected and Uh, then thrown in the trash because it's rotten (laughs) yes so the second person he calls is tyler durden and they go have a meal yeah they go to a bar And they sit down. They have a real nice chat. Do you know what a duvet is? Why do we know what a duvet is? We're men. Why We shouldn't know. It's a blanket. That's a fair point, though, (laughs) to to be honest. I mean, I know what a duvet is, but I don't care what it is. (laughs) Do you know what a duvet is? I mean, you do now because it said it's a blanket. But do you really know what a duvet is? No, I really don't. Yeah, it's okay. You don't need to know. It's basically just a blanket. But But anyway. (laughs) But he also says one thing about consumerism here is 
the things you own end up owning you. Yeah, I thought that was a good line too. And then at one point, they're talking about different brands and stuff. And the narrator mentions Martha Stewart. And Brad Pitt just goes, fuck Martha Stewart. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) You better be careful, Brad. She's a fucking felon. She'll come after you. She'll shiv your ass. Oh, She's done time. She has. Brad Pitt looks at him and goes, we just had free pitchers of beer. And you can't just fucking ask me that you need a place to stay. Just ask. Uh, So he agrees to go stay with Brad Pitt. Right. And I did notice that even though the narrator has been narrating up to this point, it isn't until Tyler actually enters the story that he starts talking at points directly to the camera. From that point, because I know the twist, obviously, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, okay, now I have to really pay attention. I'm like, remember this question. Does anyone talk to both Tyler and the narrator at the same time? And they don't. I mean, they could both be standing there, but no one's ever talking to both of no, them at no, the same no. time. Yes, you are correct on that point. But now that they've agreed to go live together, Tyler looks at Edward Norton and goes, hit me as hard as you can. Oh my God, this scene was so crazy. <laughs> They're in the parking lot of this bar and Edward Norton socks him in the ear. <laughs> and fun fact, Edward Norton really did hit Brad Pitt. It was going to be fake, but before the scene, Fincher pulled him aside and was like, hit him for real. So his, ow, my ear was real, <laughs> which was hilarious. And then Brad Pitt socks him in the stomach because he goes, how much do you know about yourself if you've never been in a real fight? But we do also learn a little bit more about Tyler here. We get a little bit of, Tyler's a night owl. Uh, he also works as a projectionist where he likes to slice in pornographic images to family films. As you do. <laughs> And he lives in a run-down shack. Yeah, it's a dilapidated house. That's like your first clue that something is not... Well, not your first clue, but something's definitely not right with this fucking guy. Yeah. There's no power in the house. There's like a flood in the basement. The The whole place is a shithole. Tyler and the narrator keep having fights in the parking lot. Yes, and the narrator finds that this is a real release of emotions for him. It basically takes the place of the emotional release that he was getting from going to the groups because he stops going to the groups and being a big old faker. Now he's just beating the shit out of Tyler Durden in the parking lot because that's better. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And people start joining them. Uh, The narrator, he's going to work with bruises. He's bloodied. He's getting fucked up. And we also get Tyler and the narrator talking. This is the first of three questions. If you could fight anybody in the world, who would you fight? And Tyler Dern says his father. Oh, yeah. That that was one of the many clues that I picked up on in the movie that led to the twist. During this conversation, the narrator starts talking about his father and how he left when he was six years old. And then Tyler starts talking about his father and he starts describing him and certain interactions that he's had with him. And the narrator turns around and he's like, oh, that sounds familiar. And I was like, ah! <laughs> so we finally get to the first fight club. First rule of fight club is you don't talk about fight club. Second rule of fight club is you don't talk about fight club. <laughs> and the third rule of fight club is if somebody goes limp or taps out, Fight's over. The fight's done. I think the last rule is, if it's your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. If it's your first night, you gots to fight. He doesn't say it like that. I just did it because it sounds fun. Frankie likes to be a poet. (laughs) 
<laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're just jealous because I can rhyme on command. <laughs> Pull a beat under it and we got a rapper here. My name is Kazam. I got the whole plan. So listen to the man because I'm the Sultan of Sand. <laughs> then we get uh, the second question of if you could fight any celebrity, living or dead. Oh my God. This is a great line. It killed me. <laughs> who would you fight? Brad Pitt says Hemingway. Uh huh. And then what is what does Norton say? And Norton says William Shatner. That's that's fair. <laughs> so Frankie, who would be the celebrity you would fight in the Fight Club? Oh my lord, Harvey Weinstein seems like the obvious choice, but I I guess I'd have to go with. Oh, you know who I'd say? I'd say the host of Supermarket Sweep. I don't know his name, <laughs> but like. You could wear something other than an 80s sweater, sir. It's 2021. Get with the program. And I know I know what you guys are thinking, but Frankie, the supermarket sweep that they show on Netflix now, it's from the 80s, so of course he's going to wear an 80s sweater. That is no excuse, okay? No excuse at all. I'll, I'll take Hannity. Ooh, that's a good one, too. Pretty much anyone on the Fox News lineup is an excellent choice. During the fight clubs, we do find out that once when Edward Norton goes to the hospital, he goes, sometimes Tyler speaks for me. Tyler says, tell him you fell down the stairs. And he goes to the doctor, I fell down the stairs. Yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like a, an eerie moment almost when he does it. Suddenly, Marla calls the house. And Marla has taken a whole bunch of Xanax. Yeah, and she is talking the narrator's head off and he gets so like annoyed with her that he just silently places the phone down. Doesn't hang up on her, but just places it down and walks away. And then you get the next weird clue. The narrator dreams that night about fucking Marla and then he wakes up the next morning and he finds that Marla's in the house and she apparently had sex with Tyler last night. <laughs> the next morning when she's in the house, he looks at her and he's like, what the hell are you doing in my house? The look on her face, she's so insulted and she just walks out. Then he kind of starts putting the puzzle together that Tyler went to Marla's apartment. And uh, this leads to them having a whole lot of sex. Oh my God. And she says one of like the most horrid lines I've ever heard. <laughs> they have sex. And in the afterglow, she's laying in the bed and she says, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Ew. Yep. This movie is fucked six ways from Sunday. And Tyler looks at the narrator and goes, don't talk to her about me. The narrator goes. He was very, very adamant about that. And the narrator's like, okay, sure, fine. I won't. And this is where we get the first call from Detective Stern of the arson division. Uh-oh, SpaghettiO. Because Edward Norton is a suspect in his apartment burning down. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I loved every bit of that furniture. It was me. And then his narration goes, and the Academy Award goes to... <laughs> it's like, that's hilarious. So proceeding from this point, Marla and Tyler are having this really hot, loud sexual relationship and marla comes out with another fucking banger of a line that i wrote down because it was just ooh, it was another it was another cutting bit of dialogue 
She walks in the room with Edward Norton. They start a conversation and she goes, you know, the condom is the glass slipper of our generation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It's such a you great line. You slip it on, dance the night away, and then you throw it away. I'm like, oh, my God. There is a, another running thing throughout this movie mm-hmm. about people being garbage. Well, what I love, too, it's really well directed because she's never even in the room with Tyler and the narrator at the same time. Like, she'll enter the room with the narrator, talk to him a little bit. She'll leave the room. Tyler comes in and then he'll leave and then she comes back. Like, it's it's they do this little dance, basically, and it's so well choreographed. It seems so natural. But if you know the twist, it's very deliberate. It's done so well, it's almost like a stage play, kind of. Yeah, that's what it felt like, honestly, watching it. Someone exits you got, yeah, stage ex- left, the other person exactly, enters stage right. Exactly, yes. And Tyler goes, we need to go render some fat. Oh my god, I don't even want to talk about this. The, the next thing we're going to talk about literally made me fucking gag while we're watching it. Tyler talks about the best fat for making soap is human fat. So they go to a liposuction clinic and take the fat that has been sucked out of people's bodies to go make soap out of it. It's literally like Sweeney Todd, but with soap. I mean, whoever did the Foley for this movie deserves a gold star because like, just the swishing sounds of the fat and the squishy. And we get another moment of... Tyler trying to teach the narrator a lesson about pain and sacrifice. This was one of the strongest scenes in the movie, I think. He takes the narrator's hand, kisses it, and then dumps lie on it. And lie burns like a motherfucker. It's such a good fucking... It's so well acted. They both do such a good job in the scene because you... You feel it like he's just so panicked and you can tell he's in pain and... When he used to go to these support groups, they did guided meditation or whatever. So he's trying to distract himself from the pain by doing guided meditation. And every time he does that, Brad Pitt slaps him across the face like, nope, stay in it. Stay in the pain. And it's like, oh, my God, it's so, ooh, it's so good. And he says a line here, too, that's really good. It says, it's only once we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. As much as Tyler Durden is a fucking psycho... He's got a lot of poignant lines, man. Throughout you- the whole movie, his philosophy, you you understand the logic of it, but you also recognize if you lose control of that philosophy, you can just descend into complete chaos, which is what this movie is. It's fucking chaotic. It- if you feel like you can do anything, that it doesn't stop you from doing anything you fucking want. Oh, yeah. There's a reason Tyler Durden is somewhat of a cult leader yeah oh my god we're gonna get to the cult shit in a little bit that freaked me the fuck out (laughs) oh yeah but it makes a lot of sense when you think about how he acts and what he says yeah so the narrator runs into bob on the street one night and bob has bitch tits and they're chatting and bob's like oh you know we thought you were dead because you hadn't been to the groups in a while and 
narrator's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm fine, you know. And he's like, what have you been up to? Well, I'm not supposed to talk about it. And the narrator's like, Bob, I know what you're saying. I, I'm a member of the Fight Club, too. Ha, ha, ha. And we cut to the two of them fighting in the Fight Club. And Bob fucking chokes the narrator. But Bob does say, hey, do you know the guy who invented it? Tyler Durden? Yeah, and then from this point, there's like a little bit of uh, jealousy slash resentment with the narrator towards Tyler because Tyler's getting all of this recognition for inventing the Fight Club. And he's like, well, we did it together. And it's like, okay, like this is your real concern. Like, <laughs> really? Now, after a particular night of Fight Club, Tyler goes, okay, everybody, it's time for me to give you homework. Go out and start a fight. He wants to expand the fight club. Oh, yes. This is the first time also that we see Jared Leto in the movie playing the character of Angel Face. And he's a cute little young Jared Leto, pre-Joker-tastic fuckery, bleach blonde, spiky hair, because, you know, it's 1999 and that was the tea back then, I suppose. Oh, yeah. After this, Edward Norton walks into his boss's office. And goes, I won't tell anyone about your corrupt ass company, you know, if you just pay me for sitting home on my ass and doing nothing. (laughs) And the guy goes, fuck you. I ain't doing that. You're fired. And he calls security. And the moment he calls security, Edward Norton beats the living shit out of himself, punches himself in the face, throws himself through a glass table. I'm kicking my ass. Do you mind? Also, there was another little interesting tidbit. While he's beating his own ass, he's also narrating over top of it. And he says a line that if you're so inclined to be distracted by the fuckery that is going on in the scene, you might actually miss it. But he says, I I couldn't believe I was in the middle of the situation like this. It reminded me of my first fight with Tyler. And I was like, what? Check. Right as security walks in, he starts, like, groveling at the boss's feet. Please don't hit me again. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's psychotic. And then that's how Fight Club got a corporate sponsor. The Fight Club is now not just beating each other up. They're starting to cause mayhem around the town. The Fight Club is slowly evolving into Project Mayhem, which is just basically a gang they're, they're vandalizing public property. They're taking crowbars to cars. Tyler and the narrator are talking about different fight clubs that have sprung up around the country. Oh, I thought you started that one. I oh, no, I thought you started that one. They clear, like, they don't almost know who's doing what. Right. All they do know is that they're essentially starting a, a anti-consumerism, power and chaos fucking revolution. <laughs> This leads to them blowing up a smiley face in the building. Yes, and it's funny because the way they shot it, it looks just like how the narrator's apartment looked when it got blown up. So that should give you a clue as to who the fuck blew up your apartment, bro. (laughs) This is also where the cult starts with Tyler. Tyler has people waiting outside the house for three days without food, water, or sleeping to break them Mm -hmm. as he comes out there every so often to insult them and like throw shit at them and yeah he's basically 
spewing his mantra for this movie, breaking everyone down to their bottom so they can rebuild themselves up. Sounds like culty shit to me. It basically is. It is a giant fucking cult. But this leads to them getting the ire of some people in law enforcement. They go to be the waiters at this gathering of police officers and they find the the police chief who said he was going to start cracking down on these underground fight clubs. They corner him in the bathroom, put a rubber band around his testicles and say if he doesn't let off the gas, they are going to castrate him. You know, no big deal. I mean, it's just a little slap on the wrist or a slap on the nuts is what might say. Tyler, of course, is leading this gang of ne'er-do-wells while Edward Norton is kind of, yo, we shouldn't do this. Like, calm, let's yeah, calm he, the fuck down. He's basically standing in the back, not really doing much of anything, kind of watching from the sidelines. And after this successful uh, intimidation of this police chief, Tyler starts rubbing Jared Leto's head. In a, in a scruffy, attaboy fashion. This does not sit well with Edward Norton. No, he gets a little Jelly Clarkson. And he beats the living shit out of Jared Leto. Yeah, they're fighting in the in the fight club one night, and Norton basically ignores some of his own rules because he's just beating the holy shit out of him, even though clearly the guy's down and out. Like, he's he, I thought he was down. I thought he fucking killed him. So the narrator and Tyler are having an argument about they both created this fight club. It's both of theirs. And Tyler goes, no, it isn't. It's neither of ours. We are not special. They get into a car and Tyler's driving and the narrator's in the passenger seat and two Project Mayhem guys are in the back. And he goes, what's one thing you could do if you could do anything before you die? And the narrator's like, I don't fucking know. Every time uh, Tyler is yelling out at him, he he lets go of the steering wheel and Norton reaches over and grabs the wheel. And at one point when he does that, Tyler's like, stop, stop trying to control everything. Just let go, let go. And then he goes, why do you think I blew up your condo? And I'm like, oh, you couldn't have figured that out before, Norton. (laughs) Yeah, he's only been talking about bombs for the past. Yeah, like that's all this fucking guy talks about is how to make bombs out of the same materials you make soap out of. Tyler keeps telling the narrator, just let go, let go, let go. So Norton lets go of the steering wheel, and so does Tyler. And then, you know, because the car is a car, it slowly but surely veers off the side of the fucking road, flips over like a bajillion times, and they have a big old wreck. And Tyler pulls Norton out of the car, and he refers to this whole ordeal as a near-life experience, because you have to appreciate the pain and being at the edge of death to really appreciate life. Well, also, I don't know if you know this this as well. Yes, Tyler pulls Edward Norton out of the car. Edward Norton's in the driver's seat. Was he? He was. Oh, I didn't realize that. It's very quick. You would miss it if you're not really paying attention, but he's in the I guess I really seat. wasn't paying attention like I should have been. No, I didn't realize that. That's, ooh, okay. But after this, we really start to get Tyler and the narrator kind of just spiral downwards. All this mayhem has been caused. He survived a car accident, but then he wakes up one morning and Tyler's gone. All the Project Mayhem guys are like making 
soap, as Tyler puts it. He tries to see what they're doing, and he gets cut off by Jared Leto, saying, everything's fine, sir. Don't worry about it. And his face is all fucked up, by the way. (laughs) And Marla comes as the narrator's drinking straight out of the vodka bottle, and he goes, Tyler isn't here. And she just slowly backs the fuck away. And it's like, that's the smartest thing you've done the whole goddamn movie, bitch. But suddenly he hears screaming from the Project Mayhem people. And it turns out one of the Project Mayhem guys was shot in the leg and Bob was shot in the head. Yeah, Bob Bitch Tits Paulson is dead. And a bunch of the Project Mayhem guys are kind of freaking out. They're going, we have to dispose of the evidence. And Edward Norton goes, no. He was my friend. He is Robert Paulson. And that becomes a mantra. It's very obviously culty and creepy and weird because they just keep saying... His he, name was Robert Paulson. Over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Very, very hive mind. Very creeptastic. You, you feel bad because you see Meatloaf laying on that table and you're like, fuck, man. He's arguably one of the most innocent people. Yes, he's part of Project Mayhem. Innocent, I don't know, but he's very naive and sad. You feel bad for him because all you've known is that he's this poor guy who had testicular cancer. Well, really, I mean, that's really what cults are, essentially. It's like you, you take in people that, for one reason or another, have some kind of vulnerability, some aching to belong somewhere, and you manipulate them and exploit them and... So that's that's what this is. So yes, is he innocent in the normal sense of the word? No. But is he a victim in a lot of respects? Yes. And that makes it very sad. So the narrator runs into Tyler's room, finds a bunch of plane tickets, and starts trying to find Tyler Durden. Yes, he goes from state to state, major city to major city, looking for Tyler Durden. And this is really the start of the the big old fucking bout of chaos that makes up the climax of this movie. And because of that, Scott, I feel that is the best time, the only time to enter into one of our favorite segments here at Shoot the Flick, and that is... The The Cast Could Have Been! That's right, before we get into the climax of climaxes, we are going to talk about our Cast Could Have Beens for this movie. But first, I feel we should discuss... Perhaps a director could have been? <gasps> I know. Craziness. Perhaps we should have another theme song. No? Okay, I'll just no, continue. No, keep it all the same. <laughs> so I, I did want to mention this director could have been because I feel that the direction in this movie is almost like its own character. It's so distinct. And there were quite a few other directors that were tapped for this movie before we got to David Fincher. Producers originally wanted the great Peter Jackson to direct this movie, but he was busy prepping for Lord of the Rings because this was 1999. Makes sense. I I can't imagine him doing something like this. Well, if you look back at 
his stuff prior. Like everyone knows him from now, Lord of the Rings and onward, right? Because he became like a established director. Before that, he was doing a lot of weird fucking horror movies. Um, but then after Peter Jackson said no, 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 Brian Singer. <laughs> Ooh, that one I can't see. <laughs> you know. But he was offered the movie and actually sent the book to read. But in true Brian Singer fashion, he never fucking read the book. <laughs> so that didn't work out. And then they went to Danny Boyle, Ooh, who not- directed a movie that we talked about pretty recently, Slumdog Millionaire. And he was interested at first, but ultimately decided to do another film instead. So then they finally went to David Fincher, and he obviously was down to clown. And we got the fight club that we know and love today. So I think it all worked out for the best. Yeah. But it's just so interesting how in certain movies, the director's style is so prominent that if you put another director in that chair, the movie, I could just, with Peter Jackson or Danny Boyle, like I could just see it being a completely different film. Well, we see that all the time. Hell, look at the fucking, uh, recently the Snyder Cut. You put Joss Whedon in place of Zack Snyder, it's a different fucking movie almost. But moving on to our cast could have beens, let's start off with our girl Marla. Now we have some interesting leading ladies who are considered for the role of Marla. We have Reese Witherspoon, which I feel like would have been a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I can't see it. Winona Ryder, who I just picture it as... Lydia from Beetlejuice, all grown up, which kind of works for me. Yeah, I, I even still, I don't know if she can be gritty enough, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, Helena Bottom Carter is the queen of weird-ass fucking roles. I mean, just look at any Tim Burton movie she's ever been in. But she plays this grittiness really well. Yeah, yeah, she kind of rocks that aesthetic. But let's move on to our boy... Tyler Durden. So I could only find one cast could have been for this, but it's certainly interesting because of the time period that this movie was made. Russell Crowe was considered for the role of Tyler Durden. This is Maximus time. This was yeah. Gladiator. Yeah, this was more svelte Gladiator Russell Crowe. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? So it could have worked. He could have. I, 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 I think, don't think I think Brad Pitt knocks this out of the fucking park. Oh no, without a doubt. I don't think Russell Crowe is cool enough to beat Tyler Durden. Like Brad Pitt is the essence of cool here. You know, everything you ever hear about Brad Pitt, A, he's one of the most handsome people on the fucking planet. He's still very, very handsome. He's also I've never heard a bad word really said about the man. Well, he did cheat on his wife. Well, other than that. But like <laughs> Yeah, that's not a big deal. But he's still quite spelt. I mean, when he took his shirt off and once upon a time, my goodness. <laughs> Ladies, am I right? <laughs> oh, oh God. But anyway, last but not least, the narrator. We have a couple of cast could have for that. We have Sean Penn. Okay. Who, I mean, let's be real, doesn't really have to work very hard to exude chaos in a film, so that probably would have worked out just fine. Yeah. And then we have a weird one. We have Matt Damon. Okay. I feel like he's too nice. He just gives off too much of a nice guy vibe for that. Yeah, but this is also like, 
this is Goodwill Hunting Matt Damon, so we're not there to the action star that he would become with the Bourne movies yet. That's true. So, but even in Goodwill Hunting, you haven't seen that yet. We're gonna get there too, guys. Don't worry. But in Goodwill Hunting, he's a fresh, baby-faced little cutie. Like he doesn't seem like he'd be the type to, you know, start a fucking army of chaos bringing macho men well yeah it's very interesting because you have to play this broken type of person that i'm not sure he's there yeah that's what i'm saying like i just i don't see that but ultimately i think the casting in this movie was spot on I, i think the performances is really one of the the shining stars of the film oh yeah i think these guys all three of them really anchored this movie absolutely but with that we have concluded yet another edition of The, the Cast Could And now that we're back, we are now chasing Tyler Dern over many states. And everywhere he seems to go, it seems like deja vu to the narrator. And he keeps running into people who keep going, don't worry, sir, everything's under control. It's so very creepy. <laughs> and he gets to this guy who goes... Hi, sir. How are you today? Don't worry. Everything's fine. The narrator goes, who do you think I am? And he goes, is this a test? And he's like, no, just can you please tell me what's going on? Well, you're Tyler Durden, sir. Yes. And you're and he shows him his hand and he has he has a chemical burn on his hand, just like the one Tyler gave to him. And he's like, you're the one that gave me this. And you're like, what the fuck? So now he runs back to the hotel room. He's freaking out. He's like, how do these people think I'm Tyler Durden? He calls Marla. And he goes, Marla, have we ever slept together? No, he he doesn't say that. He's like a fucking 12-year-old. He's like, Marla, did we do it? And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) What type of dumb question is that? He goes, is that a dumb question because yes, we have or because no, we haven't? And he, he goes, What's my name? She goes, what are you talking about, Tyler? And she's like, he's like, say my name, say my name. He's like, Tyler Durden, what is wrong with you? And then he turns around and lo and behold, standing before him is Tyler Durden. <laughs> this scene is so great. This first confrontation between them. Oh, it's so good. He's like, dude, you're me. It's been there all along. Think about it. And we start <laughs> cutting back to old scenes. But instead of Tyler being the one there, it's Edward Norton. Yeah, like you see him in the parking lot at the bar where they had their first fight, and it's just Norton beating the shit out of himself. (laughs) And it's like, oh my god. I love these moments in movies or TV shows or really anything where like the twist just kind of unfolds like a fucking flower. It's fucking glorious. And then you cut back to him in the motel room, and Norton just goes... Because we're the same person. And it's like, mind blown. It's so so good. And it's like, because I knew the twist, I was concerned that it wouldn't hit me the same. I wouldn't be as invested. But give the movie credit. I was fucking in it, man. I I was in it to win it. Because at this point, I even wrote it down in all caps in my notes. I wrote, this movie is fucking insane and underlined it 50 times like so much crazy shit happens that you just can't help but be invested in what the fuck is happening here well it's also so crazy because if you think back to some of the moments of this movie when he's talking to tyler around other people and you're like 
dude, this guy's having conversations with himself. And it's funny because in the car crash scene, before the car actually crashes, you see the two Project Mayhem people in the back seat, and they keep looking at each other like confused looks on their face, like, what the fuck? And you realize, like, oh, it's because the fucking driver of the car that they crash in is talking to himself and let's go to the wheel. It's fucked up. All these things, if you think about it, like, dude, somebody's got to look at him and be like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, that's basically why the relationship between him and Marla is so fascinating. Because throughout the entire movie, he's basically playing games with her. Or at least in her mind, that's what he's doing. She even says it when he calls her at the motel room just now. She says it to him. like, back and forth all the time with you. One day you're nice to me. One day you hate my guts. One day we're having sex. One day you're throwing me out of your house. Like, it's all over the place with you. So it just makes it all the more fascinating why she sticks around with this fucking guy. Because <laughs> she's just as broken as he is. Correct. And there's another great line here where Tyler looks at him. And goes, I'm everything you want to be. I look like you want to look. I fuck like you want to fuck. I am smart, capable, and most importantly, I'm free in all the ways that you are not. And as he says it, the narrator passes out. And now we're blurring lines between movie and reality even more. Because his brain is so addled with the insomnia, you can't really trust fully what he's saying. So it it evokes these questions of like, is... Tyler Durden the real person is the narrator the real person what really is with this guy like who the fuck is he and And you start dissecting everything that's happened up to that point yeah you can read it both ways if you really want to like who's real who's not real who created who and then Tyler takes over and apparently makes a ton of phone calls and the narrator's like what the fuck what's going on Yeah, like what's he planning now fuck So he goes back home and he starts investigating. Oh, and also he sees Marla as a threat now because he told the narrator, he's like, oh, she knows too much. We might have to deal with that. And he's like, what? No, no, no. What are you talking about? You need to leave her alone. So when he goes back home, he immediately goes to find Marla and try to get her to leave town. (laughs) He goes, you don't understand. I I know I've been acting weird. She goes, yeah, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Jackass. (laughs) But he's like, okay, take all this money I have on me, get on the bus, and get the fuck out of here, but don't tell me where you're going, because whatever he knows, Tyler knows. He also acknowledges here that he really does care about Marla. When he sends her away, they're kind of throwing in the beats of, like, a romantic film like he puts her on the bus and sends her away for her own good and then before she gets on the bus she turns around dramatically and she says Tyler and then you think she's gonna say like I love you but instead she goes you're the worst thing that ever happened to me and she's not wrong <laughs> he's emotionally fucked he needs professional help and she's the worst thing that ever happened to her <laughs> so he has determined that Tyler's plan is He's putting bombs at the base of a bunch of financial buildings, and he's going to blow them all to hell. Yes. Because if all of them are blown up, debt will go back to zero. And yes, he proceeds to go to the police and explains this to several detectives, including Detective Stern, who's been calling him about the arson in his apartment. So he explains all of this stuff. 
And Stern leaves the room for a second to make some calls, you know. And the narrator is left in the room alone with three detectives. And you think at this point, nothing could get any weirder and more fucked. But you would be very, oh so very, incorrect. (laughs) The three detectives are part of Project Mayhem. And Tyler initially set up that if anybody tried to come and stop Project Mayhem, they would be castrated. The narrator starts saying all this stuff like, you're making a big mistake, guys. Everything he says, the detectives are like, you said you'd say that. (laughs) It's like, okay. But then the detectives in the middle of the police station (laughs) throw the fucking narrator on the table and proceed to try to cut off his nuts. And it's like, you're in the middle of the police station how do you think this is going to end and i think that actually right there right at that moment was the point i wrote down in my notes this movie is fucking insane (laughs) the narrator gets a gun away from the detective and stops them from cutting off his nuts and then as the narrator is leaving the interrogation room with the gun, the detectives get on the ground and get on their knees. And he says, the first person to leave this room gets a lead salad. And it's like, oh, no, honey, that's that's not good. <laughs> well, he is not very smooth. Oh, God, I love a lead salad. But he goes running and he goes running to one of the bomb sites. And who does he run into at the bomb site? Tyler Durden. Oh, The narrator tries to disarm the bomb, and at one point, they're arguing, him and Tyler, in front of the van that is holding the bomb, and the narrator just decides he's going to start shooting at the fucking van, and (laughs) Tyler's like, whoa, 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 you are now firing a gun at your imaginary friend in front of a van filled with nitroglycerin, (laughs) and it's like, oh, that doesn't seem wise. (laughs) No, it is not. And then finally he disarms the bomb, and then Tyler starts beating the shit out of the narrator. But we keep cutting to security camera footage of the narrator just beating the shit out of himself. Yeah. Because that's what's happening. It's fucked. He's, like, throwing himself down the stairs, throwing himself on the concrete, dragging himself some fucking how. It's fucked up, but it's it's got a sick humor. So finally, Tyler brings the narrator to... I guess you can call it an observation deck to watch all the bombs go off. We get the narrator who goes, wait, if you have the gun, that means I have the gun and the gun appears in his hand. Tyler goes, okay, what are you going to do now? And he puts it up to his chin and Tyler's like, why would you want to put a gun to your head? And he's like, no, 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 not my head, our head. And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) He puts the gun in his mouth, pop. Suddenly like, oh, he's fucked up. But then they cut to Tyler, who's got smoke coming out of his face, and he drops, but there's a shot of the back of his head that's all blown out. Oh, it's such a good shot. And Tyler's gone. Project Mayhem shows up, and they have kidnapped Marla. He sends all the lackeys away, and he's like, just leave Marla with me. And then the movie pretty much ends with all the buildings around them blowing up and crumbling to the ground. And the narrator looks over at Marla, grabs her hand, and looks at her and says, You met me at a very strange time in my life. <laughs> but I'll be fine. Yeah, he, he tells her he's okay now. 
But really, nothing is fine because you're still the leader of this terroristic group that has now laid waste to several financial buildings. We also get to the point where I don't think he's just a narrator anymore. I think Edward Norton is now both the narrator and Tyler Durden as one. He is... I get what you're saying. He has combined the two of them. Well, he's he's definitely evolved as a person from this point because the narrator had the strength to kind of regain control and put a stop to Tyler's madness. But it's it's an ending that evokes a lot of conversation. Let's put it that way. The whole movie, honestly, needs a lot of conversation. There's a reason so many people have covered and talked about this movie. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that you need to watch more than once. Like, I'd certainly want to watch it again. It's definitely something that you can watch multiple times and gain a new perspective with every viewing, which I love. And maybe catch on to a couple more of the hints that are sprinkled throughout the movie that these two are the same person. Which is, it's a good thing because like with movies like this where they hang their hat a lot on a big audience gasping twist... A lot of times, that's really the only thing you can hang your hat on. There's not really a whole lot else to it. Like, an example I can think of right off the top of my head is something like Shutter Island. If you've ever seen Shutter Island, I I won't spoil the twist, don't worry. But if you've ever seen Shutter Island, once you've seen it once, there's really no reason to watch it again. Because there's not really a whole lot else to it other than the twist and then once you've seen it, the the mystery of it is really kind of gone. Yeah. But in this movie, there's so much to unpack with the characters and the writing and the direction. Like, you just want to pick everything apart. So you can watch it multiple times and get a lot out of it, even if you already know the twists, like I did. Definitely. It's a great movie. I've seen Again, I've seen it multiple times. Frankie, what would you rate... Fight Club. I rated this a four and a half out of five stars. Yeah, I have it as a five out of five. The only reason why I knocked it the half star, and this is like, it's almost like a nitpicky thing, but it's just, there are definitely some late 90s tropey things in this, even though this movie, I would say, is really timeless for the most part. Because even though it is very late 90s, early 2000s in some ways, I still was very much into it. However, the the score at times can be almost overwhelmingly late 90s. And if you have seen a lot of movies from that time period, you know what I'm talking about. Like, for example, in that end scene where he's having this kind of almost sweet moment with Marla the score just like takes a hard fucking left turn from hard rock to almost like typical indie rom-com music that they would use at the end of a typical late 90s early 2000s rom-com just like guitar strumming and like it's like Okay. <laughs> well, everything's fine now, Frankie. Oh, yeah. Everything's just peachy. <laughs> and also, there there was a few moments that just seemed totally out of nowhere where they used 
just a little bit too much CGI for no goddamn reason where it wasn't necessary. And it's like, okay, it didn't take me totally out of the movie or anything, but it just kind of, it made me cock my head to the side a little too much. <laughs> uh, I get it. But even still, thinking back to the 90s, the little bit of CGI stuff I think is forgivable. It is, the, but like they have a CGI penguin in this for no reason. Yeah, Why do we need a CGI penguin? Can someone explain that to me? They also had a CGI shot of the narrator throwing shit in his trash can and it's all different corporate products like food franchises and stuff, crumpled up papers in the trash can and they're showing it through CGI. I'm like, okay, we get, that's not really fully... I get what you're trying to do there, movie, but your CGI is just well, not necessary in the trash can at this point. <laughs> also, well, let's face it, the late 90s, early 2000s, we still had no idea what we could do with CGI. Oh, yeah, yet. they were just throwing everything at the wall because they thought, like, oh, this looks cool, and it's like, eh, okay. <laughs> but... Like again, I feel like that's forgivable. Like if that if that was the it CG- is, I definitely forgive it. If that it. was CGI and that came out in 2011, right? No, I get it. I totally get it, and I forgive it. I do. I like I said, I was way more invested in this movie than I thought it was going to be, so I forgive it. But another successful movie viewing experience here at Shoot the Flick. But now next week. It's a special time for us here at Shoot the Flick. It's Oscar predictions time. Oh, no. For those of you that don't know, I am an Oscar nerd. And Scott is not as much one as I am, although he's kind of being forced to be an Oscar nerd over the past few years because I love the Oscars. And this year is no different. Next week, we are going to discuss our predictions for the Oscar ceremonies. Yes, Scott's coming off a victory from last year's Oscars. Well, okay, this year, things are going to change. I'm going to win this year, and I'm going to wipe the floor with you. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. We're going to go to the fight club. (laughs) Oh, we're going to settle this like toxic men. (laughs) Oh, God. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our prestigious red carpeted movie adventure. His name was Robert Paulson, and Bob has bitch tits. Oh, no. (laughs)